2006. We're beginning chapter 6 today. It's been a good trek through the book of Ephesians. Uh, those of you who are attentive to Bill Thomas's prayer will, and probably already heard anyway, know that Ann Witt went home to be with the Lord Friday morning. There will be a private uh, graveside service for her Tuesday, and then we will be, we as in Mary Ann, will be organizing a lunch for some of them Tuesday noon. <clears throat> And they hope to have a memorial for her that's broad that everyone can go to this summer. So that they cannot invite everyone to this. But hopefully later we can also celebrate her life. Okay, Ephesians 6. I'll just recap quickly for you. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 through 3 was laying out the theology and the truths of belonging to Jesus. In chapters 4 and 5, he taught on how the body of Christ should operate, what God requires of us, and what our relationships are to be like in his body, in the church. And then in the last part of Ephesians 5 and into chapter 6, he laid out how believers in Jesus should function in their significant relationships. So we spoke two weeks ago about marriage. And then today we're going to deal with uh, children and fathers a little bit specifically, and then uh, next week we'll look at masters and servants, and of course today we really don't have masters and servants in the church, and so we will look more at employers, employees, and however uh, the Lord leads Reuben as he teaches on that next week. But in all of our key relationships, we are to seek peace, we are to be righteous, and we're to honor one another, whether it's relationships within the home or outside the home. All of our key relationships, these, these need to be critical for us, that we're seeking peace, we're honoring each other, we're walking in righteousness. So let's read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, hold your place there, and let's go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the similar verses here. As you remember, Paul wrote the two books, Ephesians and Colossians, around the same time. So Colossians 3, 18 through 21 he picks up on the marriage theme first. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So when Paul addressed children in the household of faith, he was instructing them to obey their parents because that is right and that is righteous. The Greek word for obey means to hear as a subordinate, to listen intently, to answer and respond, to submit without reservation. And this is important for us as believers in Jesus because this is how we are to obey. I'm going to say that again. So we as believers obey our Heavenly Father as subordinates. We listen to Him. We listen attentively. We answer and we respond and we submit without reservation. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6.
We were growing, those of you that don't know my mother, that was her on the piano over here. And when we were growing up, my mother would say, listen to me with your eyes. Probably a lot of you mothers used a similar phrase. Listen to me with your eyes. That's when you have full attention. We need to listen to the Lord with our eyes as well. Okay, Proverbs 6, 20. We're going to read through 24. He says, My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. I wanted to read that last verse to point out that Solomon was writing to a grown man who was old enough to be tempted by an evil woman. Children of all ages, young and old, so that includes us, I need to take seriously what our parents and spiritual leaders have taught us because their instructions, their commandments are for us guidance, light, and life. And I, I'm sure most of your parents gave you very good instructions. How many of those wise words do you still obey? I thought about that this week. How much do I still obey what I heard my parents say growing up? And this is what he's saying. He's speaking to, his, to a grown son, and he's saying, keep your father's command. Don't forsake the law of your mother. Just because you're old and making your own decisions doesn't mean that you don't need to walk in their commands and their instructions. He says, bind them continually to your heart, not just when you reach 18 or 21. For the rest of your life, bind good instruction to your heart. Tie them around your neck, no matter what age you are. Bind these commands to your heart. Walk in these commands. So a few of you are raising children at home right now, but quite a few of you have influence over your grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. And you may have occasions where you can instruct them to honor and obey their parents. I encourage you to take advantage of those occasions. They need to be instructed to obey and honor their parents. And as older parents, you can make suggestions to your grown children toward righteousness. You can't lord your age or experience over them anymore. You can't say, I'm your mother. You got to listen to me. I'm your father. Do what I say. You can't do that. But you can give them wise counsel. You can speak with wisdom when they're receptive to it. So I want to encourage you, don't just say I've raised my kids and they can do their own thing from now on. You still have a responsibility toward your children and your grandchildren. So ask the Lord, what is obedience in that for me? How do I walk this out in a way that would please you and honor you? Look at Proverbs 23. It's a similar passage to what we just read. Proverbs 23 we're going to start in verse 22. <clears throat> he says, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Look at verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. 
My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. Again, he's talking to a grown son, someone who is susceptible to temptation. And uh, he's counseling him, observe my ways. And that's something you can say as a very much more mature adult over your grown children and, and grandchildren, observe my ways. This is how the Lord led me in my life. This is how he helped me to be faithful. These are the spiritual disciplines I walked in. This is how God has taught me and trained me. And this is the way I've walked for many years. And I would counsel you to do the same. Don't wash your hands of your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Take an active role in their lives. God still holds us responsible to some degree. I know they can make their own decisions. But um, to some degree, we still have some responsibility. Another thing it's important for us to do within the family unit is all spouses need to honor their spouses. So husbands honor your wives, wives honor your husbands, especially all the time, but especially in front of your children and your grandchildren. They need to see how important it is to honor and respect the older generation and spouses, they need to know it's important to respect fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers. So let's, let's example that before them. Let's go back to Ephesians 6. Going to look at verse 4. You know, I love the old uh, etiquette where men would stand up when a woman walks into the room. You know, any time we can show honor when a man opens a door for a woman or a car door for a woman, anything we can do to show honor, let's do it. Let's don't think, well, cultures have changed. We don't have to do that. Let's still do what we can do. Let's pull out chairs for people. Let's help people. Let's be extra kind to the older people. Okay, Ephesians 6, 4, let's read that again. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So fathers are responsible to train their children toward righteousness. It's primarily the parents who are to teach their children the ways of the Lord. It's not really the grandparents, although it's important for you to, to take a role if you can do that. It's not really the church's job. It's not the children's pastor's job. It's not the youth pastor's job. It's not other ministries. It's not the friends. It is the parents' responsibility, and it's primarily the father's responsibility. He is the head of the family, and he is to serve the family and lead the family. So I've seen fathers and grandfathers tease children until they cry with frustration and with hurt. And that's what he is specifically addressing in this, for, in this verse. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't do it. You may think it's fun to tickle them until they cry. Don't do it. You know, don't provoke them. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You cannot teach sound wisdom on one hand and tease them to frustration on the other hand. It's confusing to a child. So to raise them in a way that they will love and fear the Lord, they need to love and fear you in a positive way. And so you need to treat them even with honor, with love, with tenderness, so that they see that their heavenly Father is also loving and that he's tender. Otherwise, they may grow up and think the heavenly Father can be harsh. Their heavenly Father can pick on them until they cry. 
because fathers, you represent the Heavenly Father. So it's a very important role that you have. Fathers are called to create an atmosphere at home where they teach the, the knowledge of God. And that atmosphere would be one of acceptance, affirmation, encouragement, realistic expectations, tenderness, and affection. Fathers need to make sure that sarcasm and harshness, criticism, and intimidation are not a part of the home environment. I was reading a part of William Gurnall's book this week. He is a devotional author from the 1600s. And he had a, a section on this. I want to I wanna read this to you. He said, Parents, your children have souls which God expects you to nourish with as, at least as much care as you lavish on their physical needs. I believe a man calls into question his own Christianity if he does not acquaint his child with God and the ways that lead to him. I have never known a true saint who was not deeply concerned about his child's relationship with the Heavenly Father. Do your best while they are young and in your constant care to win them to God and set them on the road to heaven. Training your children in the ways of the Lord is no casual suggestion. Your refusal to obey, whether by deliberation or neglect, will pay you bitter wages when you stand before the King of Kings in the judgment. So what do you do now? If you did not train your children to know and love the Lord, what do you do now? I believe you begin by apologizing to them personally, if possible, on the phone if you can't be with them in person. But personally, if you can, sit down with them and say, I have realized I really did not raise you to love and fear the Lord. And I am so sorry. I apologize to you and I ask you to forgive me. However you want to word it, but you need to make it right. Don't just think, well, I've raised them. It's over with. I can't do anything about it now. An apology goes a long way. Some people just wait to hear the words, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I had a friend that uh, for 10 years, from the age of 9 to the age of 18, her father raped her every Saturday morning when the mother went out shopping. Later in life, she came to faith in Jesus. She received a measure of healing, quite a measure of healing inside. And she ended up being the caregiver for her father and her mother. Her mother passed away, and then she was caregiving for her father. And she had forgiven him long ago, but she had never told him. She didn't really want to bring it up. And she felt it was maybe a little unfair to bring it up to an older man. But the Lord put it strongly on her heart. And so one day she went to him and she said, Dad, I just want to tell you I forgive you for all those years of rape and sexual abuse. And he had resisted the gospel his entire life. But as she said that, tears just ran down his face. He said, I had hoped you'd forgotten but I receive, I, I, I ask you, forgive me. Thank you for saying you do. And now I want Jesus. Now I want Jesus. And sometimes it's the, it's the apology. It's the asking forgiveness that will trigger salvation. And you don't know if you've got children or grandchildren that are not walking with the Lord that you had a part in raising that maybe need to hear you say, I'm sorry. I didn't do it all right. I tried. I did my best. 
that I didn't do it all right and I ask you to forgive me. And maybe you came to salvation later in life and you didn't raise your children to love the Lord. And this is the opportunity for you to take advantage of saying sorry while you're still alive and while they're still alive. Don't wait. So, of course, you can admit they're adults. You know, they can make their own decisions, but urge them to seek the Lord. Urge them to walk with the Lord. You have that right as their parents. Advise them not to live for just what is temporal, but to strive to reach the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, to live and invest in what will last for eternity. Once you've apologized, it likes, and they receive your apology, it can open a door wide for you to speak a lot of truth into their lives. Some of you are very involved in the lives of your children and grandchildren, and they might listen to your wisdom and your influence. So use every opportunity to invest in them. Initiate many meaningful conversations, significant conversations. Don't just talk about small things. Talk about eternal things. Write letters of affirmation and godly counsel. Text them, call them. That's what they're used to is texting. So get into their world and text them. Affirm your love for them. When it's their birthdays, don't just write them a check and say happy birthday. Use that to speak into their life and their future, their destiny. Give them scriptures that they can stand on. Make every opportunity to speak the kingdom of God into your children, into your grandchildren, so they can, it can be more firmly established in their lives. Your main role now is intercession. That's your main role. Pray for them. Declare God's word over them. Pray God's word over them. If they've wandered from the Lord, stand in intercession for them. Bind them to the word of God and to the will of God. You know, a lot of us grew up praying prayers of binding and loosing. And we usually bound the devil and we loosed the Lord somehow. But I've heard... a. A different side of that teaching which I really like too and that's what I probably adhere to more closely and that is to bind people to the kingdom of God the word of God the will of God and to loose them from the seduction of the world from the temptations of the world from the pressures and the strongholds of the world so it's it's the same words but but you're binding to the positive and you're loosing them from the negative and those are ways you can pray for your children and grandchildren don't hesitate to speak wisely to them about righteousness, about eternal things, and pray with them when you can. Don't just pray for them at a distance. When you can, pray with them. I doubt they would say no. Most people will welcome prayer even if they don't know the Lord. Uh, we were just with um, my mother's granddaughters, my sister, her children, grandchildren, uh, on Friday, went to Temple in uh, Tyler to visit some family members there. We have a new great-grandson uh, great for my mother. And um, at the end, we said, well, let's just stand together and pray. Now, the parents of this new baby haven't been back to church in a couple of years. We're not sure how they're doing spiritually. They talk about the Lord. And um, so all of us in that circle have made a commitment to the Lord, but we're not real sure where, where some of them stand. Anyway, we just said, let's, let's pray together. And we, we went around and we prayed. Later, the mother of the new baby texted me and she said, 
my husband was saying to me, that was the most refreshing time I have had in a long time with anybody. And I think, I know, I know the relationship was good and positive and all the love shared over the few hours we were together, but I know that prayer time was significant. And they wouldn't have suggested it. We had to suggest it. Your kids and your grandkids may never suggest it. One, one year, I, you know, I went to the mission field as a 23-year-old, and one of my trips home, I would think at this point I was 26, my paternal grandmother had had a stroke. I wanted to come back and see her quickly uh, while she was alive. And so I walked into her home, she and my grandfather, in Austin, and she just burst into tears, and we hugged each other, and, you know, it was just wonderful to be together. But I'd been with them only about 30 minutes before I said, I want your blessing, please. Will y'all lay hands on me and pray for me? I have seen the kingdom of God in your lives. I've seen the anointing of God. I've seen the way you've ministered the word. I've seen the way you've been hospitable to people and you've shared love and y'all have been role models for me. Would you pray over me? May I receive your blessing? And I was mature enough to ask, but you may have children or grandchildren that won't think to ask. And it's important that you pass on your blessing to your family. So look for opportunities for that too. Don't wait for them to ask. Volunteer it. And if you see a gifting of God in them, speak to it, affirm it, call it forth. So what do you do if your parents did not raise you to love and fear the Lord? What if they did not exhibit love in the home? What if they were abusive or they just didn't nurture you as you needed? Well, we find the answer in Psalm 27. So if you'll turn there with me, Psalm 27, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Psalm 2710, David says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. If your parents rejected you, if they abandoned you, if their love was not sufficient or was not obvious, if you suffered abuse in your family home, then the Lord will take care of you. That's what I want you to hear. The Lord will take care of you. His paternal love is enough. His maternal love is enough. He can nurture you as a mother. He can be the strong arm of leadership and guidance as a father. He's tender. He's compassionate. The Lord himself will take care of you. And this is a way you can pray with people, too, that had very difficult parents as you pray over them for the Lord to heal the deep wounds in their hearts, you can say, Father, would you pour in your Father's love into every wound? Would you pour in your mother's love into every wound? And would you heal the mother-father wounds that they carry? Now, David goes on to say, teach me your way, O Lord, verse 11, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. What this verse says in Hebrew, let me first just say, he says, teach me your way, O Lord. That's the phrase we're going to look at. In Hebrew, this says, horeni. Horeni is taken from the root word horim, which means parents. 
And he's saying, teach me as a parent would teach me. In other words, David was saying, parent me. When my mother and my father have forsaken me, God, would you parent me? Would you be enough for me? Would you teach me as they should have taught me, as maybe they would have taught me if they knew better and had had better parents themselves and knew how to raise me? God the Father can give us everything that our parents could not give us. He can give us the blessing of love, of acceptance, of affirmation, quality time, godly discipline. And so David was saying, and we can pray, when my father and my mother forsake me, when their love is not sufficient, when they were not there for me, when I needed them, God, would you parent me? Would you teach me? What they left undone, Father, would you do? And we can say that at every age. We can say that at our ages. Lord, what they left undone, Father, would you make up the difference? Even in our mature years, God is ready to love us, to wholeness, and to reparent us. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you love a God like that? You know, he didn't come just to save us so that we could have eternal life with him. He came to give us abundant life here and now. How abundant is it if we're still tripping over the wounds of our past? God can minister deeply to those wounds and set us free from them and the power of them. Okay, here's another question. What if you never had children or grandchildren? So that's answered a little bit in Isaiah 54. If you'll turn there with me, Isaiah 54. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not travailed with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your habitations. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. He's obviously not speaking about natural descendants because he starts out saying, Sing, O barren, you have not born. He's talking about spiritual descendants. So those who have not been blessed with children can rejoice because of the spiritual kids that God wants to give them. They can expand. Uh, their godly influence through people that they disciple. So almost all of you know that Reuven and I were not blessed with natural children, but God has allowed us to reach nations and touch nations through the spiritual children he's given us. And as we have nurtured and discipled and mentored his kids, we have found joy, fulfillment, and significance. We are all commissioned to make disciples. It's not just those that don't have children. We are all called to enlarge our tents and stretch out our stakes and make room for more in our lives so that they can be discipled, trained, and go forth into the nations and change cities and change nations. So who has God called you to disciple? Of course, it's first your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, but who beyond them? Because, you know, a lot of young people didn't have godly parents, and they weren't raised in the church, and they don't know anything. 
and they need spiritual moms and dads. Some of the college kids that will get saved this week will need spiritual moms and dads. We will need to start discipling even more as the harvest continues to come in. Who has God placed in your life that you are to invest his truth into? Who are you to raise up as spiritual offspring? God's invested a lot into each one of you. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't carry it to the grave. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. So a good prayer to add, to begin praying is, Lord, who do you want me to invest into? Who do you want me to disciple? Who is in my life that you've given me a responsibility to give everything to them that you've given me? To teach them the word of God, to share my victories and struggles, to walk a road with them so that they can be established in their faith and in the word of God. And of course, you're probably asking, where am I going to find time for that? I don't have time for that. My life is already busy. I already don't sleep or eat. Where am I going to find more time? And, you know, my answer would be you might need to eliminate other things that you're doing, things that maybe have less value than this. And there you just need to do your own business with the Lord and ask him, Lord, is there something I need to eliminate out of my life, a good activity, but it's taking up too much time and energy and you want me to invest in the best activity right now. For the rest of my days, how can I bless you the most? But Reuben and I use the phrase, we're in our last quarter now. Of course, I say you're in your last quarter. I'm just in my last half. <laughs> but how, how are we going to wisely use our last quarter and our last half? You know, it's not the way we lived our first half. We want, we don't, we're not striving for success anymore. We're striving to be significant now. That's our role, is to be significant, to say the right things to the right people in the right spirit, to affect the right response for the glory of God. So, you are commissioned to make disciples. That's a commission. It wasn't a suggestion. It's not an option. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, he was speaking to the 11 disciples, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. You know, all authority is mine. Bring people in every nation under my authority. And this is how you do it. You baptize them in the name, the nature of God the Father. You bring them into an experience with God the Father. You teach them about the Father, but you also bring them into a, a relationship with the Father. And then you baptize them, you immerse them in God the Son. Teach them who Jesus is, how to be a son of God, how to walk with the Lord like Jesus did, how to serve your generation like Jesus did. And then you baptize them in the name, the nature, the character of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. Start with relationship and then begin to teach them everything that Jesus taught us to do. That's what we're all to do. And he gave us the strategy, it's so clear. We need to make sure that we have a solid relationship with the Father. We've allowed him to minister to any wounds, any brokenness or dysfunction in our lives so that we can bring others into that relationship. And then we need a solid relationship with Jesus as the Son and a solid relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need to know the Word of God. It's the written Word of God that reveals the living Word, Jesus. So we need to be hiding this in our hearts, meditating on the Word. 
I've mentioned it once before, and I wanted to mention again uh, today that there are some of us, even some in this room, that meet on Tuesday nights. There are about 50 of us that mostly young adults and some senior adults. And we are looking, we've started Matthew 5, we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the law of the new covenant, and we need to be walking in this. This is what Jesus laid out for us to walk in. So right now we're in the Beatitudes, and we ask for an initial commitment of time. We will finish in the middle of May. We're not adding more to this group because we have set small groups, and we don't want to disrupt them by adding new people at this at this juncture. We're going to finish this in the middle of May. We're going to start the next season, the first part of June, probably, the, I think, the 7th. We're going to then meet on Monday evenings. We're going to go for nine weeks through the summer, and we're going to look from Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 48. And we'll do that through the summer. Then we'll start again in the fall with Matthew 6 and 7, and we're going to keep on going, Lord willing we don't get raptured. If we get raptured, we'll take our books with us and we'll study in heaven together. So um, if any of you want to join us with that, that's why I'm bringing it up. You, you can't now, but if you want to join us in June for this, this is uh, just, it's an amazing time of all of us sitting at the word, all of us becoming more disciples of Jesus, but also it's an opportunity for us who are older to invest in the younger generation. And so I just want to throw that out. You'll see it in print. We'll probably send out an email about it in May sometime because we'll want you to sign up so we can already assign groups before we start in June. And this is what we believe is most important at this season of our lives is to establish people in the word and in their relationship with the Lord. So um, what are our takeaways from today? One, we're commanded to honor our parents in thought and word, whether they're alive or not. I just want to mention that, even if they're already deceased. When you speak of them, you speak honorably. He never said, honor your mother and father until they die. He said, honor your mother and father, that it may be well with you. So we continue to speak honorably of our parents, our grandparents. We think honorable thoughts about them. And then we teach our grandchildren to honor and obey their parents. We build a culture of honor in our family units. And they have to be trained. It's not natural anymore for kids. I think we, we grew up with there being more of a culture of honor and respect. And it's lacking now in the next generations. And so it's got to be trained. So when you have an opportunity, be part of that training process. Parents, especially fathers, are responsible to train their children in righteousness. So remember, if you did not do that, apologize to your children. Make it right. Move forward. Don't carry guilt and shame the rest of your life. That can be under the blood of Jesus. Make it right with the people. But between you and God, make sure you're washed in the blood in that area so that you're not walking in shame and carrying the guilt of that. God doesn't intend that. Number three, your main role with your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren is intercession. Pray for them. Name them before the Lord. If you can, name each one before the Lord every day. That would be very good, even if you can't pray long prayers over each one. Four, God's love and blessing can fill every gap where a parent's love was not sufficient. That's our amazing God. 
And then number five, we're commissioned to raise up godly offspring for God by making disciples. We're commissioned to do that. We need to be faithful in that commission. And you know, disciple making has, there's the direct disciple making of hands-on where you're teaching them, you're praying with them, you're guiding them, you're answering their questions. And then there's the uh, supportive areas of discipleship, those who host a discipleship group in their home, those who bake for a discipleship group if they're going to serve cookies at some point. There's the babysitting of children so that the parents can be in discipleship. It, we don't all have to be the ones that are teaching, but we need enough of the support group ministry around too so that all of discipleship is going forward. That The whole church is going this way more intentionally and with strategy. Even this summer, there's going to be a special focus on women to do some further training with women. We're, we're not a part of that. We're doing this with the young adults. Uh, but you may hear about that. You might want to be involved with that. About eight weeks of training with women so that as the fall starts, each woman that is a part of that gets a handful of women with them and they start discipling in a small group. So you, you will hear more and more, hopefully, as the Lord is multiplying this in our church. We need this. We need this for us. We need this as the wellness center goes up and people come into the kingdom of God and they need to be discipled. We need this as people all over Waco get saved and need to be discipled. I'll just tell you quickly what's happened in, in the wind kids. We only have 20 wind kids this year because of COVID and all that. Out of those 20, four to five have already gotten saved in the last two weeks. Well, okay, if there's 10, then there's more. That's great. We're praying for all 20. Wonderful. Well, then what's happened is there's some volunteers that are college kids, and they volunteer with, well, so then Audrey, who oversees the program, said to me, can these college kids come in with your young adults so that they're being discipled because we want them to be the ones to disciple the children that have just gotten saved. So we already have a ripple effect going on, and this is what we expect to continue to see. Okay, I want to close in prayer, and then I'm going to explain to you the, the quick music video we're going to see. Holy Spirit, would you take everything we've looked at today in Scripture, everything we've talked about, and would you convict each of us personally what is obedience for us now? How do we walk in this? How do we live and speak and act with children, grandchildren, how many of us need to have significant conversations with our children? Maybe apologies, maybe encouraging them to walk in righteousness and to be investing in the kingdom of God. How many of us need to be actively making disciples, not just watching things happen from the sidelines? Lord, we want to take an active part in what you're doing. We don't want a mediocre Christianity ourselves. We want to be radical believers that are on fire for God and are doing the work of God. So Lord, pour out your spirit on us. Empower us to walk in all that you are telling us to do in this season of our lives. And may we not carry guilt or shame that you are not putting on us. I pray for that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, you know, the, the main song all through the coronavirus and the almost a year of lockdown was The Blessing. And it was sung in multiple languages. And all around the world, everyone seemed to want to do their own version of The Blessing. And so I... 
I, um, I watched so many of these during, throughout the year. I'm blessed by every one of them. But the one I chose for us to look at today is the one that the Zimbabweans put together. Zimbabwe is an African country just north of South Africa. There are white Zimbabweans, and you will see a few white people that sing. Most of them are darker skinned. And most of it will, I mean, it will be in English as well, but they will also sing in their language some, so, um, and they'll speak a little bit in their language. But the reason I chose this one is because of the passion and the anointing. There's an anointing on this one that I didn't always see on some of the others. And I watched uh, quite a few even just yesterday in preparing for this because I want you to hear the blessing of God, the blessing of the Father for us in our going, in our coming, in our sleeping, in our waking, that the blessing of God is upon us. So receive from the heart of God as we watch this. Thanks, Ruth. presence go before you and behind you and beside you and all around you and within you. He is with you and with you he is.